0: Hey there, crew. I'm so excited to be back with you this week. It was such a blast uh, putting out and hearing your feedback on our friendship series. If you didn't get a chance to give those a listen, the last three episodes are part of the series. It's all about making friends, growing friendships, and sustaining friendships as adults. This week's episode is really special to my heart. The guests are Steve and Carol Zuvella, and they come on and share not only their incredibly unique and inspiring love story but also the fortitude that it takes to build a family and to create a culture that has integrity and to also even just pursue love with integrity pursue goals in in a faithful way This is just part one of a two-part episode, and I also wanted to let you guys know we had some technical difficulties, so we were recording three people with just two microphones. There are a few spots in our interview that get a little bumpy, but if you can just hold tight and try to focus on what's being said, it goes back to normal pretty quickly. Well, thank you for agreeing to talk with me. I tell all of my guests, thank you for trusting me with your words and your story because that's kind of a big deal. <laughs> uh, I guess what I would start with is tell us your story where wherever you feel like it starts um, because you've already lived this part of life that so many people are just going into and you've done it really well, I've witnessed. <laughs> and there's, you know, there's the fruit of your life. So I guess where would you say your story starts? Probably when we met, right?
1: Okay. When I was going to Northwest College and Steve came to visit and he didn't come to visit me. He came to visit another girl who was his friend. My first impression of Steve was kind of, he was there to see a friend and she talked to all the girls to come down into to the college lounge to meet this guy. And I said, no, he's not there to meet us. He's to see you and he was just very um, unobtrusive or you know didn't want to bring attention to himself,
0: not arrogant, not arrogant,
1: <laughs> that's right, but strong and, but he was different than other guys. I knew that.
0: And what was your first impression of her now? I want to hear the other side.
2: <laughs> My first impression of Carol was not <clears throat> that day there was too many girls. she was one of them. As things progressed and I, I visited more, um, I saw her character. I saw her beauty, inner and outer, and wanted to know more about her.
0: So that's awesome because so many people, like right off the bat, what you're saying is, goes against like what people expect. She walked into the room with a group of girls and she's the only face I saw. But that's not always the reality. Yeah, but
2: as... Things progressed. She became the only girl in the room that I was interested in. Um, Infatuation to love, to.
0: And your dating wasn't normal. Our our (laughs) dating
2: was not existing.
0: Because you were still fishing, right? We didn't
2: date. After that first encounter, I I left the next day to go to New York on a vacation for two months. After um, fishing in Alaska all summer. Came back. That's where... uh, our relationship kind of started really is on those visits.
1: But my my idea of being there is I was there to study, and that day when he was coming, I didn't want to go down because I'm studying, Lynn. <laughs> but there was just something different about him. And, and then, like he said, when he'd started coming down to the college, we just did things as groups you know, hmm. I don't know, go out to eat, tennis, or whatever. But um, we were always in a group, we were never alone, hmm. ever we kind of gravitated toward each other. And whatever group we were in, it was kind of like if we were piling into a car, everybody assumed we'd be sitting next to each other. Or if we were in a restaurant. So how did you grow the one-on-one intimacy? Then I would go back home to Minnesota and we'd write letters. And, you know, of course there was no cell phones and, and long distance calling was... Expensive. Expensive, yeah. So we wrote a lot of letters. And I always had in my mind, this is a friend that goes fishing and I go back to Minnesota so we just kind of kept it at that friendship level and his custom as a family they kiss you know he kisses his dad he kisses his mom he kisses his sister they're Croatian they kiss mm-hmm. he kissed me one time and i went, like oh I like this <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes that's great I, like I that. love it you're
1: cute I mean there was but that was it was just a kiss it was we were friends and we really developed our friendship and that base has what has preserved us and kept us strong, you know? Yeah. You
0: guys were friends for two years. Yeah, so then
1: I graduated and went back home. So I was, after graduating, I could still get a free train ride as Mm -hmm. long as I was under a certain age and still under my dad's mom's rule. November for Thanksgiving... I came out in the train to visit my friends who were still in college. Mm-hmm. Lynn being one of them that introduced us. Well, Steve got wind that I was in town from Lynn. Did you know Carol's coming to town? And uh, honestly, in the back of my mind, I hoped I had would see him, but I wasn't seeking him. I out. wasn't seeking him out because I. So I purposed in my mind I was not going to chase after a guy. That's mm-hmm. kind of the same place Steve was too. I think, be something or chase somebody. But anyway, so I came out here. Stayed a couple nights with friends, saw a lot of friends, and in the dorm we were at, guys couldn't be but beyond the lower lounge. Mm-hmm. And, I think and past real. ten o'clock, um, they had they couldn't even be in the lounge. Mm. Well, I was out with some friends, came back to the dorm, and you know the whiteboards are on the side of the walls in the dorm in the hallway it says, Steve Zavella's was here. He's in the parking lot. And my heart went boop, 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 boop. And I knew right then there was a crossroads right there in, our, in my life. How Steve, did you know the note was for you? Did it say, Carol? It says, Steve Zavella's there. Nobody's, he's not going to be there for anybody else ah, but me. Ah, okay. Yeah. I mean, that was Continue. like, no. <laughs> <laughs> and so I went downstairs out in the parking lot, and there was Steve in the car with his buddy. They had come seeking me. well, he had to bring a friend along because he's chicken. He's afraid to be alone with me. <laughs> that whiteboard with his name on it, I still know that feeling of, in my heart. It was like, mm-hmm. okay, this is this is the That's new sweet. beginning. this is the, this is it.
2: Yeah, we got to the dorm. She was gone. We waited outside for a good half hour to an hour. We went to dinner. Carol ordered chili and I knew this is a different girl since every other girl I took out to dinner ordered a salad. had a salad. Yep. Then I had to take her back and, and on the way home, my buddy Bruce says, if you don't marry that gal, you're a fool. And I, you know, I really liked Carol, but marriage was not something I was contemplating back then. And then in November, uh, the next few days, I talked to my parents about this big plan to arrange for Carol to come out, stay with them, and I was living in a, an apartment with a guy. I would date her, because we never had any dates.
0: I love this part of the story.
2: And, <laughs> you know, they thought it was kind of an odd situation, but they were okay with that, and they liked Carol a lot, and so I set it up had my plan all in order, went to work early, early, got off early so I could take Carol to the train depot, and I got down there, and her friends were going to kill me because I was taking Carol, and they wanted to take Carol to the train depot. And as we're driving across the floating bridge, I laid out my plan for her to come out, stay with mom and dad, and I would date her and then find out if I really want to marry her. (laughs) And she said, I've been here for two years. You could have dated me. Anytime you knew where I was, I'm going to Minnesota. You know where I live. You can come there, (laughs) basically.
0: I like it. But also, it's very sweet. For That is is quite the pursuit.
1: And it's so Mama and Papa. It's so your parents. But yeah, he had this plan, and I was a little bit perturbed with him because he would not be alone with me ever. I asked him to go to the spring banquet at the school, and he wouldn't go. He went with Lynn instead, and um, we have we have the pictures. I didn't of know him that. She,
2: <laughs> she didn't time. say
0: words
1: like marriage. <laughs> <laughs> I never said words like marriage ever. That's me. No, I was not going to do that. Um, So did you end up going, did he end up going to Minnesota? So I can't cross the Evergreen Point Bridge without thinking about conversation. And I said, this is my number, you know my number, you can come and and find me. Well, that was November 29th, 1979. We were married November 29th,
0: 1980. Isn't that funny? That is funny.
2: So the the plan changed, obviously, and Carol went home. I went back to work at Boeing. March, I told my boss, you know, because Carol and I continued to write letters and have a couple phone calls, I said, I need to know if Carol is the girl for me. I need time off. I need a vacation. And my boss said, you've only been here 10 months. (laughs) you don't qualify for vacation. And I said, okay, leave of absence then. And he said, you've only been here 10 months.
0: (laughs) You don't qualify. You just got here.
2: And I said, well, I quit. And I said, I'm sorry. I just got to know if she's the girl for me. So I quit, and I went out to Minnesota and spent a couple weeks with her there. We went on a couple dates. Then I came home and still was not sure. And then on the 23rd of March, which is my birthday, I called her to ask her because I had prayed about it. I said, God, if she is the woman for me, tell me.
0: What were your hesitations?
2: It's a big commitment, and I did not want to screw it up. I did not want to choose the wrong person, and I wanted to be sure that God's hand was in it. Hmm. Um, I was a fairly new Christian. I mean, I became a Christian after I first met Carol, so I'd only been a real born again believer for a couple of years, mm. and it was a, a major, major step for me that I wanted to be sure and I wanted to know that God's hand was in it. And when I prayed about it, I was sitting at Harborview Park looking over the bay, and just a peace flooded me, and I knew. So then I went home and called her on my birthday, and she was out with another guy. So the plan kind (laughs) of took a (laughs) sidestep. But it happened to be that she was out with just a friend, and she was there the next night when I called. And I asked her, and she said yes.
0: You asked her to marry you? I did. Whoa, I didn't know that. I didn't know he came back questioning and then just decided and made the phone call.
1: (laughs) I was going to say something about...
0: Oh and she was with another guy right after you she made the decision wrong. and called man. About, I was telling
1: him all about Steve. I was going to say something. Steve about
0: doesn't know that. You see it in the movies all the time. You know, he calls and a girl answers and it's a sister but it doesn't feel like it. <laughs> so Did and you and you said yes.
1: Well, <laughs> well, yeah, he he says, "Would you bury me on November 29th?" And I knew this was coming. But back up to when I came home from that November trip cross Evergreen Point Bridge, get on the train, go home. This is what it wasn't what I was going to say, but Diane, my sister, picked me up in St. Cloud at the depot. And she had come to visit while I was in school. So she knew some of my friends. And she goes, Who'd you see? So I was telling her some of the names I said. And I saw Steve Zavella and Diane, nothing happened. I have nothing to prove this, nothing, no big news except we are mark my words, we're going to be married. Oh. Really, what happened? I said, nothing happened. It just, I just know we're going to be married. Yeah, so he asked me to marry him, and I said, are you on your knees? And <laughs> <laughs> That's cute. And I said, yes, of course. Then I went upstairs to my mom. Dad was working. Mom was upstairs in her bed. It was probably you know 1130 at night. And I go in, and um, I go. And Mom and Dad had met Steve because they had been out to visit while I was in college. I said, um, Mom, Steve asked me to marry him. And she just kind of gave a Mona Lisa smile type and didn't say too much. And I said, I'm laying on bed with her, and I said, Mom, you don't seem very happy. And she said, nobody's ever good enough for your daughter. Aww. And um, so then I did do that. I did come out to stay with Mom and Dad, with his parents. I did stay in the bedroom upstairs like he had planned. I came out May 15th and stayed until July 1st when he went fishing and spent a lot of time with his family, got to know his mom and dad, you know,
2: after engagement.
1: really well. Yeah, and after we were, engagement. we were engaged. Yeah. But we still, so here I am out here for a month and a half. I'm, I'm sure we're going to go look for rings. I'm sure we're going <laughs> to buy a ring. No, still no ring. <laughs> yeah. So I go back home and it's all good. Um, so then, you know, that's that was the extent of our dating. I was out here for a month and a half, and but we were always with family. We, you know, we always had. A, a, and I guess that's kind of indicative of our life, how our life is. It's family. It's it's. We don't go do elaborate things. We just do family. Um, and that's kind of the precursor, I guess. That was the yeah. Now that I think about it. But let me say, okay. my dad had a frown on his face. But to be fair, he had a frown on his face for every all of my four sisters getting married. But <laughs> we had no job. We had no place to live. We had no money. We didn't care. I mean, really, it, it didn't you matter. You knew those things we would kn- come. They would come, yeah, because we had each other. So it really didn't matter.
0: And so at this point, you're what, 24, 23? I mean,
1: it was the 80s very beginning of the 80s and jobs were not there weren't a lot of jobs and he promised me he wasn't going to fish again Uh, yeah that would be hard
2: yeah she mentioned job uh, hunting I I looked and looked and looked and I would find a job and then when the job would be over I get laid off I got a job working in a shipyard for a couple months and then we got done with the two boats we're working on and then I got laid off and I would drive around with my tools in the trunk of my car, ready to work and go up to a job site and ask the foreman, you know, are you hiring? I'm willing to work for a week at no charge just to give me a chance. And if you like me, you can pay me. And I I did that for a long time. And then things were slim. Come June, I went down and got a job fishing again. And for the the first year we were married, I went to Alaska for several months. And
0: just as you had to, I'm assuming. It you was, needed, it was you a needed job money and do. that was a job that was available.
2: Uh, with family in the fishing industry, you always had a fallback.
0: That is really interesting. And these are the kinds of things like why I wanted to do this episode is because you said just a second ago, he promised me he wouldn't fish again. And then life moves forward. Exactly. And you went fishing again. And it wasn't just he broke a promise, but life happens and you had to do what you had to do.
1: I didn't really look at it as he broke a promise to me. His intention was he wasn't going to fish, but he had no job. So, I mean, you choose what you're going to, what offense you're going to pick up. And that Mm -hmm. wasn't one I was going to pick up. I admired his... I knew that he would take care of me. At the time, we thought we were, didn't have any money. But looking back on it, we never went hungry. Never went hungry. We always had a place to live. And, mm-hmm. um, and <laughs> when he was talking about on our honeymoon, we, were, we stayed at the family cabin. And while we were there, didn't you get a phone call from Chris and Mark that they offered to let us stay at their place when we came back? I, he had no idea. We had no idea where we were going to live. We knew we could stay at the cabin as long as we wanted. <laughs> I like, we live here now, guys. But, but that's, I mean, God provides. He just, he does.
2: That was out of work more than working hmm. for the first few years we were married, actually. And I finally got a good job working for Waterfront Construction in their construction crew. About four months and then I got injured and uh, confined to a wheelchair and that's when the real challenges in the relationship started
1: When Steve got his job with Waterfront it was kind of um, a little bit desperation of a, of hiring a company to find him a job oh. and that's how we got the job at Waterfront. Okay we paid somebody to fi- find the job and so I got the job and started in, I was pregnant with, with Peter. When we got married, I just felt like our love story is the best of anybody's, you know, and that we had the world at our tail. We didn't have a, we didn't have, we didn't have money, we didn't have a job, we really had no place to live, but I felt like Choices. we could Choices. do whatever you had a blank we canvas We had a blank canvas in front of you. And, and, um, God, God, our Heavenly Father was going to take care of us, and, and we were going to have an abundant life and a good life. And um, I was just... We really had no... We had no... Not a long time together. We didn't date. We jumped into it in the middle of, you know, being separated and passion, and then all of a sudden we're married. And then life hits. And for us, for me, for the first couple of years, it was just establishing who we are. I didn't care that we didn't have money. I didn't care that we didn't have a nice place to live. I didn't care about those things. It was just, I I guess I had a sense of, I wanted, um, I knew we were making memories from the get-go. And every time I look at our Christmas stockings, I think about that because we were living, we had nothing. We had a Norfolk pine tree for a Christmas tree and little teeny tiny plastic decorations and and I wanted to make a memory. I wanted to just start something. So I made us these Christmas stockings with our names on it. Chris had a sewing machine and bought this fabric. And and I look back on that now with having our whole family have those same kind of stockings and our grandkids. That's what I was doing. I was purposely starting a memory. Starting.
0: You were building something I was before building you something had anything to build. I, exactly.
1: <laughs> and I started with some... Fleece fabric and making a simple thing like Christmas stockings. Because that, now we had something that was... Yours. That was ours. Tradition, yeah. And um, I think about that every time I put up those stockings that God knew. God knew what was down the the road Mm. 30 plus years and even Mm. four years down the road. Yeah. I had no idea. None of it has been necessarily easy, but it's all been really good. Mm. So I think... One thing uh, that young people think that when they when their love is so strong and they they have a beautiful wedding and everybody's happy for they're them all and, pumped up. and they've got like he always thought he wanted a down payment on a house and a secure job and savings. Well, a lot of people do have that and they start out really strong and, and all the, the things are stacked in their favor, but that doesn't mean they're going to have a good marriage. It's good.
2: Yeah, she mentioned what I had in mind for my situation before I was going to ask her to marry me was to have a house, you know, down payment on, on a house, someplace for her to live, $10,000 in the bank, and a secure job. And when we got married, I had none. <laughs> but I think what we did have was, you know, a strong love for each other. We had... Strong love of the Lord, and we had a desire to build our relationship on godly principles. And so we knew the rest would come if we were faithful and we, uh, you know, walked the walk of faith that that laid out. You know, Carol had a, a head start on me, so I kind of followed her lead. And, you know, she was very strong Christian and. I was learning
1: yeah but I didn't think I know I remember what I was going to say now I didn't think yes I was I, I had history and I, I was raised and I, I had been a Christian longer than you but that first time I met you and as you would come to college to visit me you could hear your car and loud and I thought oh, when's he gonna get that fixed but he fixed it to sound like that. <laughs> but i remember um a couple of my friends especially vicky that i roomed with at the time she cautioned me against spending too much time with this guy because he's not a christian and um i just felt safe with him i felt i could trust him mm. and i knew that he's um it, it didn't it didn't and and our fr- we were friends so we weren't dating and we weren't getting serious we were so i felt um comfortable with where he was and in his own time I knew if this is going to work out that he would be a Christian Mm -hmm. you know so I didn't that wasn't really a big I gotta I gotta get this guy I gotta win him over the Lord that wasn't it at all because I felt like um I was learning from him too I I didn't feel like I was the one that's got to teach him Mm -hmm. things Mm -hmm. so for me before we got married there was one thing that we really agreed on that was going to be a foundation of our marriage, hmm. and that was we were not going to talk each other down to girlfriends, boyfriends, hmm. family. We It was a, like an understanding and a promise that I'm not going to tear you down.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, we knew we would make mistakes, but we were not going to tear each other down and because um, then we're just tearing ourselves apart. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing I think we've really strived to stick to, and then the other thing was I wanted our home to be peace. Mm-hmm. I wanted peace in our home, and you those are two things that we really have strived for.
2: Well, to kind of expand on the not talking <coughs> about your spouse to other people, you know, in a negative way. Um, I think it's too easy for people to talk to friends and then open up the personal things with that you're going through with your wife because you think you're you're being safe with a friend. Hmm. And I think that a lot of relationships are damaged, like Carol said, because of the fact that that conversation should happen with your spouse, not with your friend or your mom or your dad or somebody else. Uh, unless you cannot resolve the issue with your spouse, then you can seek outside counsel. But to to expose the flaws of your mate to your friends and, mm. and uh, you know, paint them in a negative light, even if it's in a joking way, um, it does no good. And... I am guilty of doing that on occasion, not purposely, but I'll say something because everybody else is joking and I'll say something about Carol and then she will point it out to me later that I stepped over the line again and that's like, oh, dang, no, here yeah. I go again.
0: Our counselor said something to us, Kurt and I, that's right in this vein, and she said we make agreements in a relationship, whether or not they're verbalized or not, we make agreements, and how it's such a healthy thing. What you're talking about too, it, because it gives you the space to shine a light on it when it happens. Right. We have this agreement; we don't do this. So when it happens, you're not coming out of left field or or scolding because you have right. that agreement.
2: Yeah. The commitment was tested when I was injured.
1: Hmm.
2: And uh, a devastating accident at work that left me paralyzed from the waist down. And um, while in the hospital having conversations with a psychiatrist that says 80 or 90 percent of the uninjured spouses leave Mm. the injured spouse in this situation. And him planting that seed in my mind and me thinking that, you know, Carol's going to find some exit strategy here. But then she has her side of it that I wasn't aware of.
1: March 27th, 1985, Steve went to work like always, and I get a call about 9.30 from the office saying, Steve's okay, but he the tug fell on him. The only thing I could think of that a tug is is a boat. Yeah. And how can a boat fall on him? That's and, um, a fair question. <laughs> and um, so I've got, you know, a 2 week old 3 week old baby and Jenny is 23 months and and they said um, he, he's okay to tug him on um he's in the hospital he's at at Harborview and I have no idea you know I I'm new out here I have uh, no idea what Harborview Medical Center is meant but, yeah. yeah I have no idea but your mom knew <laughs> so I called Fran and I said mom um, Steve's in an accident I need I need you to get me we need to go to the hospital where she's at, Harborview. Well, she knew what Harborview meant. She didn't tell me that. Anyway, um, left Jenny with the neighbor lady, grandma that lived next door, and of course brought Peter with. So we go down to Harborview and um um I get ushered into this room with I'm sitting there with holding Peter and there's like a circle of chairs and there's a neurosurgeon and a a, a a psychiatrist and a family counselor and I don't know who all it is but there's like five medical people there and Fran and me and they said, you know, your husband's they don't get into the injury too much but they say he will never walk again and I'm looking from one person to the other one, you know one smart person to the other, wanting another, uh, wanting them to say something else. And my thought is, um, no, my heavenly father, um, loves us and we have an abundant life planned. And that's in my mind. I don't really talk like that, but in my mind it's like, like, we have an abundant life. We've got two babies and, um, we've got a life ahead of us. And, you're telling me he's never going to walk again. And John 10, 10 comes to me. And I could not have told you it was John 10, 10. I could not have found this verse in the Bible. Yeah. But God spoke to me. I have no other, and you know I don't like talk like this either. God spoke to me. But I heard him say, I come to kill. Satan comes to kill still and destroy, but I come to give life and life abundantly. I think he knew right then that I had to know this was not from God. God was not causing this. He knew it happened. He allowed it to happen, but it was not something He was giving us. And um, He He needed to know. I needed to know that God is still in control. He's still on our side, and He still has an abundant life for us. Good, yeah. And so, and it wasn't until you know a couple months later when I really got into Word that I found that. In the Bible. It's like, wow, you were really talking to me. Mm-hmm. But after that um, interview if, or meeting with all the professionals, Steve was out in, to, in my memory, he was just in the hallway, but I don't know. He's probably, So I wanted to see Steve. Yeah, he's in there. So can I see him? Yeah, you can see him. Well, apparently they had just probably done the adjustment on you. I don't know, but um, he's laying there and he sees me. I come up to him, and he's laying on a gurney, and he throws up. And he says, "They say I'm never going to walk again." And I says, "I know they told me that too, um, but don't worry about it. You know, I just want you to know, whatever happens, I'm here. I'm not going any place. We're in this together. This is happening to me as much as it's happening to you. And um, and I was never the strong one. He was always the strong one. He would be the one to tell me that kind of stuff." And um, so I had I now here I am having to be strong for him, and um, so I said that to him, and it was a done. And I wanted him to know from the get go that I wasn't going place and we're in this together. Well, he does. He come to find out he was on morphine and doesn't remember that I had told him that. So what a moment! So so just gotta trust it happened. Two months later, in the hospital. When we're at well maybe not two months but as soon as we could we moved him from Harborview to Everett and after his surgery and at Harborview moved him up to Everett so he could be closer with the kids to come and see him and it was a lot nicer hospital <laughs> um, and that's when the psychologist there asked me to come and have a meeting with him and my mom had was out for the second time she came out when Peter was born then she came out again after Steve was injured and stayed with me. So I had her watch the kids. And I went to the hospital to meet with a psychologist. I had no idea what he wanted to talk to me about, but we—I know, know more—and get in the room. And he tells me, eighty-six percent of spouses leave. So to help Steve in his recovery, you should just make your move now. And wow. I was flabbergasted first of all, but I was angry at him. I thought, "You have no—and here I am, a little twenty-seven-year-old, not even hardly a hundred pounds." And I was irate that he would say something like that to me. I said, you have no idea who you're talking to. You have no idea who we are. You have no idea of our commitment to each other. I'm not leaving. I'm not one of those statistics. We are not one of those statistics. So don't throw us in that group. And don't ever say, and I said, by the way, don't ever mention this to Steve. I think I said my husband, don't ever say this to my husband because he doesn't need to have this thought in his mind. Well, too late. They had already talked to Steve about Mm. that. Hmm. So, you know, I would come in, be bopping into the room in the summer with two kids on my, you know, hips, and and he's laying in the hospital, and he's thinking, he's told me this later, any day she's not going to come back.